I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And this week, the Navy taught him to kill, then accused him of murdering an ISIS prisoner. Dan Taberski explores the complex case of Navy SEAL Eddie Gallagher in The Line. Then it's a community filled with suspicion about voter fraud. We'll review the new podcast from Serial and the New York Times, The Improvement Association. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and co-author Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is author, private investigator, certified pet detective, and resident cat lady, the host of the Patreon Leave It to Bricker podcast, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. And finally, our captain of woke cynicism, the author of the City Trilogy, host of Strange Arrivals, and the Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. C'est moi, Rebecca. <laughs> C'est moi. Uh, Kevin, what date is it as we're recording this? It's like April 22nd or well, something? Let me check my watch. It's the 22nd, yes. Laura Bricker, why is it 12 degrees outside? Yes. <laughs> what the hell is going on? Oh, my God. It was snowing this afternoon. Yeah. yeah. We know. What We have hell? windows. We saw. We had and snow yesterday. We had hail. It was insane. We had a ball game called on account of snow. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't know. And then we had hail yesterday and bad. Th- it, Climate change. Yeah, bad storm. And we had this insane thing like two days ago before it got bitch ass cold here. We were sitting out by our little fireplace in our driveway. As like seven o'clock, we hear this huge boom. And Ken goes, oh, my gosh, that sounds like an explosion. I wonder what Dan's doing. We find out later it was like three towns over. Yes. Somebody was doing this gender reveal in a gravel pit. And they like exploded like 80 pounds of tannerite. pounds. 80 pounds. Yeah. (laughs) Does anybody get hurt? I literally, like while we were taping, I got a a thing from the Boston Globe about it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And so did they go, oh, look, congratulations. It's an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no shit. I was like, I, supposedly, so it was 80 pounds of tannerite and some blue chalk. I'm like, because <laughs> apparently we didn't know you had sperm, so you need oh, to go oh, get some, like, overkill. freaking, like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, by the way, gender is a construct, so these reveal parties are just fucking stupid to begin with. They're stupid. Yeah. Don't do them, and especially don't blow shit up don't, in your town. But, like, three towns over, I literally thought it was, like, two doors from my house. Wow. So mm, anyway, <sighs> well, I guess speaking of explosive situations, should we just go ahead and start reviewing some podcasts on this podcast? Kaboom. All right. Let's get it done. 
leading off. A young prisoner, unarmed and wounded, the last known image of him alive. And kneeling over him, Chief Eddie Gallagher, a decorated Navy SEAL, about to do something or not do something, depending on who you believe, that would brand him to many as a war criminal. When SEAL Team 7 returned from Iraq in 2017, its members remained troubled by the actions of their chief petty officer. They said while in Mosul, Eddie Gallagher stabbed a wounded teenage ISIS prisoner to death and then posed with his corpse. You'd make comments that he was like okay with killing women and kids, things like that, perfectly okay with killing anybody that was moving. While facing a court-martial for war crimes, his wife and conservative media turned the narrative away from whether Gallagher did it to why was the military punishing a decorated warrior for doing what it trained him to do. They want us to kill guys compassionately and only under the rules of engagement that, that they say to. And if you kill the bad guys that we actually say are bad guys the wrong way, well, the U.S. government then is going to try you for murder and put you in jail. Dan Taberski hosts the Apple original podcast, The Line, a deeper look into the war crimes case with interviews from the SEALs and Gallagher himself. The podcast is a separate but complimentary production to an upcoming Apple TV Plus documentary of the same name. Taberski brings his unique voice to a controversial tale of how the lines between duty and dishonor are blurred in Iraq's forever war. Note the Apple original is only available on Apple Podcasts. We are going to be talking about plot points from the line. So if you want to remain totally spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down review. So, Kevin, Mm -hmm. you have a complaint about this podcast right up top. And that is that it's not all out. Why yeah. are you complaining about that? Fuck you, Dan Zabersky. Why do I have to wait a week from episode to episode? I just couldn't. It was so good. Is it Apple's wanted, fault or Dan's it's fault? Prob- well, <laughs> it's probably the big corporation's fault. But I just, I mean, it, this is like when I wish the podcast could have been bingeable. Yeah. Because an episode would end, and it usually ended with a really great cliffhanger mm. or something that draws you in. And I was like, I can't, ah. Yeah. Ah, yeah. I mean, I mean that in like as the nicest compliment that right. I really couldn't wait for the next one. So I'm sorry, not fuck you, Dan Taberski, because, you know, we really like you. Yeah. So, Laura, I approach this podcast with a lot of skepticism because I feared humanizing a potential war criminal who committed egregious acts against people in a war that did not ask us to be there and sort of putting the story at the center Uh, and not the story of the victims at the center of it, for me, like on paper, Uh seemed problematic. I think for me, what it comes down to when listening to this is Dan Taberski's writing. He goes right at a thing, says what it is, and has the most delicious turns of phrases. What do you think just about the expository writing in this show, Lara? It's awesome. Um, I, you know, I was listening to this as I was painting on my hopefully last pandemic painting project. And um, the thing about Dan Taberski is he sounds so natural, but then he comes up with a way of describing something that you or I would never think of describing that way. So like he describes like these dogs, like they're basically like three little loaves of bread. And then he's talking about something that was kind of familiar, but it oh. wasn't... T- the very best thing in the whole podcast, a piece of writing-wise. Let's just drop that clip right now. And this is UCMJ, remember, Uniform Code of Military Justice. It's not civilian law. 
So it's similar enough to be familiar, but it's just different enough to irk. Like a Canadian McDonald's menu. Court will come to order. Then he's describing the courtroom and he's like, you think you're going to be excited or it's going to look a courtroom. Don't get too excited. It looks like the break room at whatever. And Dunder Mifflin from The Office. Yeah. I mean, it was just, you know, so he just has this really great way of describing things like he's talking to a friend or like he's just telling you a story. So it doesn't sound like something that's scripted. It sounds so, so natural, but it's also something that when you hear it, you're like, oh, yeah. That makes sense. And 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 even like big picture things that aren't, you know, like the way that he started it off describing like the freeze frame, like there's this picture and we're going to come back to that. And he keeps going back to that as he's telling the story. He just has a, a way of telling a story that makes it not only easy to follow, but I hate to say it in this case because it's a horrible story in terms of what happened, but just entertaining. I mean, he's he's fun to listen to. I think, Toby, that the secret sauce to Dan Taberski, what makes him really singular in this medium is that you hear him talking to us in this way, you know, the Canadian McDonald's, the the French Bulldogs being like three loaves of bread, all that stuff. But then you also hear him talking to Navy SEALs and you hear him talking to lawyers and you hear him doing like very serious interviews. And he is that guy. He He's not writing for the camera, so to speak. He is writing in his own voice, and his own voice is just loose and easy. And it's just, it's very different. He's able to take us into very difficult situations and make them relatable. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, sort of. I did kind of feel like of all the podcasts that he's done, this one, he feel it feels to me like he's a little more constrained by the the subject matter. I mean, I think part of what he's brought to these other things that he's done is sort of like, I don't know if a sense of whimsy is the right way of doing it, but you know, it's, it's sort of an optimistic view of the world. Even when he's talking about things that aren't great, he feels like a kind of glass half full type Mm. guy. Uh, Mm. And I think that's, that's a tough one for this. And so there were times when I felt like it seemed a little less natural maybe and i don't think that's really a matter of his writing or whatever other than just the subject matter well if we could talk about the taberski oeuvre for a minute here it seems like from his first podcast missing richard simmons coming to this one they were all very personal but each one the next one got sort of less and less so so the question becomes can dan taberski do an effective podcast if he doesn't already have some sort of personal connection to it in some way, I mean, you know, we had running missing Richard Simmons, and that was because he was friends with Richard Simmons, and you know, we know the rest of that story. The uh, surviving Y two K. One of the stories was his story about coming out to his wife, but mixed in with a lot of other things. And then the running from cops. Again, this was like his favorite show, but again, it was less about that. Now, I don't know if Dan was ever in the service. He doesn't seem to have any sort of natural connection. So my question going into it was, can he still perform at that level? Can he still do this in his own voice? And I think we've established that, yeah, his writing is great. And that when you hear him interview people, he's the same guy that you hear narrating, right? He's not a different person, like reading off of a clipboard and just getting the next soundbite. So I actually liked, I think I know what you're saying, Toby, about, yeah, I mean, uh, missing Richard Simmons is a lot lighter than talking about a war crime. And yet he can still have a funny aside without ruining the gravitas that he's bringing to these interviews. So, yeah, I mean, it's just it's a different flavor, but I, th- I still think he's doing it well. I'm not trying to say that I don't 
I mean, I, it's a great podcast, clearly. Yeah, I didn't take uh, it you saying just, that, but yeah. It was just something a little different. And I think maybe part of it is is like, I don't know. It seems like the other podcasts he's done, like they're clearly things he has chosen to do, right? Like he's kind of come up with like an interesting topic and then done a podcast about them. But I don't think like the world was crying out for a podcast about cops, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I think that was something that he figured out was going to be super interesting and did something about. This seems like a little bit different in which this is sort of an important national story that he's taken on. And it, I guess the mission is slightly different in this case than it has been in other cases, because I think there's a little bit more, I, I don't know if it's national import or their lines are drawn a little more clearly on either side of this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that, that was just sort of my impression. Laura, one of the things I love about the story we've gotten so far is we don't just get the story of this one Navy SEAL. We get the story of what Navy SEALs are, how they're made, the things they have in common. There's this whole look at the psychology of what makes a successful SEAL, which is basically somebody who won't give up even if their leg is chopped off and they can't run anymore and they haven't eaten. Like, they just can't give up. And that's a kind of grit that's frightening. It's like they all got into motorcycle accidents. They've all had traumatic childhoods. I think that stuff is really important because as much as I cringe at the idea of like humanizing someone like Eddie Gallagher, and I do personally cringe at that idea, getting all of that stuff about the seals out there and just showing us what it is like that is important for us to be able to swallow a story like this. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. You know, going into this, my exposure to Navy SEALs was, I mean, we have one Navy SEAL from our town who died in the line of duty. And so that's the story I always hear about, like, he was like the last one to the helicopter and got everybody out type story. So you hear these stories of like heroism. And for me, I feel like the way that this was set up where we hear about the type of things that Navy SEALs, you know, number one, go through in their training, where it's like basically insane amount of time being up and going through this, like swimming in the freezing cold. And what was it called? I can't remember when. The sugar cookie. Wait, wait, stop, stop. What's a sugar cookie? A sugar cookie is when they make you get completely wet. <laughs> you come into the dry sand and they make you roll over like a sugar cookie. So you got sand. The sand's got to cover your entire body and your head. And if anything's not covered with sand because the ocean is 55 degrees, you run back out to the ocean, you jump in, come back, and you sure could again. And, you know, they're not eating and this is going on. So you hear about the training and you're like, who? oh, my God, like I would last like five minutes. And then you hear about what they're actually doing on their missions. And and this is why I think it was important to tell this because, you know, they're basically being trained to kill it on these missions. They're being, you know, trained as assassins in missions of all sorts of different types. So when you hear that that is what they're going in for, I think for me, that sort of put the story into a perspective because they're being told to kill. They're They're doing this, they're doing that, but they can only do it a certain way. And I think hearing what so many of them had so many similar stories of like you always remember your first kill and and I'm like oh my gosh I mean just thinking about the psyche of somebody that is able to not only go through the training but then to actually carry out that mission it's it's a, a certain type of person that's able to do that and so I think for me that's what I was left with is like okay I understand what type of person this is 
I'm not jumping to the same conclusion as quickly as I might have about this story, knowing that background, if that makes sense. Kevin, how surprised were you to hear that uh, Eddie Gallagher himself oh my was God. going to be in this podcast? <laughs> oh, my God. I nearly went off the road because it's such a good get. And usually if, I did not expect at all we would hear from Gallagher as the um, the defendant in this case. And he sort of drops it at the end of episode one. I'm like, is that Gallagher? And I just, then I'm like, I got to get the next episode. Mm-hmm. And that's and he just, you know, there's a couple of really good cliffhangers where like stuff that you don't expect him to have he has and the end of three was we're going to hear tape from the court martial that you can never get that has been completely sealed that no one can get somehow we have it uh, i'm not going to ask too many questions because you know maybe a seal shows up at taberski's apartment and wants all that tape back or something but yeah i mean does a really good job it's it's put together very well and to piggyback on Lara's thought here that one of the things that we do get is that we do hear from a lot of other SEALs about what it takes in order to do this kind of work. And the fact, you know, you talk about, oh, you remember your first kill. But what the way they're saying it, it's not like, yeah, like you remember your first girlfriend. It's like you did it. And then not too long afterwards, you feel really bad about that. You hang on to that. A lot of those guys are troubled by having had to do that. Or not all of them. Not all. Okay, not all of them. Not all of them will admit to it. The guy who uh, was working uh, with the interrogate, the Iraqi interrogator, and the, you know his guilt over that torture and not torture and you know all that other stuff. For a lot of guys, even though the algorithm, the literal algorithm to find these guys are people that are. Maybe, you know, lack empathy, lack it literally, yeah, lack empathy and are a little less restrained than most of us. It's still a human experience to do some of this stuff and you can be trained to kill. But then when you actually kill, it's for a lot of people, it's a, it's a different experience. And I thought, you know, I thought that was very humanizing. And like Tversky hung out with these guys and he says, if he says about somebody, he's a good hang. He's a good hang. Dan is absolutely terrifying and also kind of a good hang, which is how I would describe a lot of the SEALs I've met over the past year. If you're looking for intensity, go find yourself a SEAL. That's one of the things I like is that he puts the bad out there and names it uh, in a way that another podcast we'll talk about later in the show troubles me that they don't. He says they had a sewing circle text thread. The word faggot was thrown around a lot. He just names it and then he moves on. He gives you the bad and just tells you what it is without you having to be like, let me judge for myself whether or not these guys are toxic, masculine and homophobic. He just tells you and then he moves on. I never thought I would want to hear a word from Eddie Gallagher. I never thought I would want to like listen to that interview from he and his wife about all the tactics they employed around his trial. But all that setup made it. I don't want to say like palatable, but that's how it felt. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I I think so. So I thought, and this is kind of going off of what Kevin was talking about. I I think it was the first episode where they talked to a guy who's like 100% gung ho about like, we didn't go in there to like kill some people. We went there to dominate the area and fucking, you know, clear people out and and you're hearing all this stuff, you know, kill, kill, kill. And then he's, but he's also like reflecting on, you know, after you... uh, your first kill and you go and you're like acting all macho in front of your buddies and you go back to your room and you cry in your brain you're you talk about i'm gonna kill motherfuckers i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that until the first time you kill somebody um and then people congratulate you 
and you smile and you go, yeah, that, yeah, fuck yeah. And you go in your room and you cry. It feels like he establishes kind of a baseline, which is the people we're dealing with. It's not like your neighbor, like these guys, like their mission is to kill a whole bunch of people and they're very good at it. And that's kind of what their deal is. But they're also in this way. So that when Gallagher comes on, he seems to be missing that, but they're also this way part of it, right? He's just like a killing machine. He's not very circumspect about it. You know, he totally has this sort of black and white view about things. Like, I don't think he gives it much thought. I mean, basically, he's there to kill a whole bunch of people and, you know, kill them all, let God sort them out type of thing. Um, can I well, Can I ask you a question, Toby? Because sure. I, I, I do feel like he's like an apex predator, but not in a sexy way, like in a bad way, right? And that's right. what we're leading to. It's so bad that when we hear about other horrible things that all of these soldiers that, that our government is doing, it's like, oh, that's just, that's how war goes. Like, we hear in the podcast that one of the tactics is to deprive a whole city of water period because isis has taken over but even like the regular people who live there are not allowed to go to the river and have water will be shot if they do he is so cold that we are as a listener like i mean we know that thing other thing with the water is horrible and it's horrifying but it gives you a stage on which if he we think he's bad even on that stage like it's Bad. I don't know. I mean, I don't know but if I that's, think that's what you're getting. That's at. what makes it effective, though, yeah, right? Yeah, that's what I, I mean. Because otherwise, it's just, I mean, it would be very easy without sort of that context to be like, well, you know, it's a war. Right. You know, that, that's just kind of the way it goes. But because you've talked to these other guys who are also super elite, super destructive, you know, they're, they've got one mission, then you have context for being like, okay, well, this is a little bit different. Like, mm. this guy is missing something that these other people have like these other seals who've gone through the same stuff they have are like shooting close to people to scare them away so that Gallagher won't kill them. Right. You know, and, and, and that's just, I don't know. He doesn't seem to have that part of his psyche that, that would make that calculation. It seems like it sets up a good question about, you know, we see these other seals and that the stress and the things that they do, wear on them in certain ways and starts to break them down. And then we have Gallagher and you either go in thinking that Gallagher, is he the defect or is he the product of going through what everybody else is going through, but way more intense? Essentially, did we make Gallagher the way he is by giving him this command and telling him he needs to do this and that and the other thing? Because they certainly make the case that he was very competent, but over time, he'd been acting very weird and, you know, wanting to be more bloodthirsty. And he didn't walk into theater that way, but he walked out. Laura, I want to talk about another character in the podcast that is fucking fascinating to me. And A, I would love to be in a fly on the wall for this marriage. I just want to see what they are like when they are together <laughs> because it's... I have so many questions about how you can be in a relationship with either one of them and then how the two of them would be together. But I want to talk about Andrea Gallagher, a.k.a. the better business babe. She's a better business babe. The better business babe. It's a way to do your business better and you get there faster. She even has a branded phone number. The last four digits are B-A-B-E, babe. She's a better business babe. It's even fun to say that's branding. So, Laura, Eddie Gallagher's wife is a branding expert, and she puts all of her brand expertise toward this public relations campaign to make America feel differently about this soldier who his entire platoon says 
murdered this young man. What do you think of Andrea and her branding campaign? I was kind of amazed at how forthcoming she was with Dan about her branding campaign, because to me, that sort of defeats the purpose of the branding campaign in a way, because, you know, you want people to organically come to the conclusion of what she's trying to convince them of, that he was doing his job, that he's been, you know, railroaded, that this didn't happen. But it was really fascinating listener. Like, first of all, she kind of scares the shit out of me. But just listening to her going on all of the like right wing, super right wing podcasts, talk shows, news stations, and you know, repeating this mantra and this this you know story about her husband was really interesting. And the one that I sort of fixated on a little bit was like that you know she kind of was harping on that those were a bunch of like millennial seals who are a bunch of pussies. Yep, and I think. To some, there is a segment that that is probably going to connect with. Boomers, you mean? You're talking about boomers? Well, <laughs> these damn millennials. But yeah. I, but also, then on the flip side, I'm like, okay, so you can keep repeating that. The millennial pussies, they just, you know, whatever. But is it that? Or, you know, when you step back from her analysis and think maybe it's just that the millennials actually aren't going to turn a blind eye like older SEALs who have been maybe seeing things like this for a long time and actually going to report something like this when it happens. But I I don't know. She scared the shit out of me. I thought she was a super interesting character. I can't believe she was as forthcoming as she was. And I totally want to look her up, which I haven't yet because I just find her super interesting. Yeah, I will say millennials are responsible for all the positive social change happening in every office in America right now. So there is something to what Laura just said. But Toby, what did you actually think of uh, her messaging here? I mean, her PR campaign basically switched the narrative from he didn't do it to, yeah, he did it, but who cares? It's what he was hired to do, which is something. Uh, What did you think of the tactics there, Toby? I mean, it's just tried and true stuff, right? It's like, who do you blame? You blame millennials, you blame the media, and you blame liberals. It's not millennials or liberals or the media who are making up rules of engagement that are telling what they can and can't do on the battlefield. Those weren't the people who did the Geneva Conventions. If you're willing to say, yeah, he did it, but so what? That's, you know, there are rules. I mean, that's military discipline, right? Is is that you follow those rules and... You know, you can not like the rules, but they're the rules. So if he's found to have broken them and you're willing to admit that he did, fighting a battle about whether there should be rules like that, it, it seems kind of beside the point, except for trying to sway, you know, Donald Trump, essentially, I guess. I mean, I, I, I there, there, there's like a certain audience that's going to be receptive to this, but I don't know how in a military courtroom, it doesn't seem like it. it's very germane at all, but- whether that whole thing actually is like a rational argument. I think there is a tension between training people to kill and then telling them you can only do it in certain ways. But that's why you have like strict discipline in the military, I believe. I mean, I'm not a military guy, but my understanding is that's part of it is because there are rules. And part of the reason why you have rules is because you don't want one of your guys to get captured and have some guy on the other side, like chop him up while, yep. when he's supposed to be giving him first aid. I mean, right. that's, you know, it's reciprocal. So it came off to me as being pretty cynical, but that might be the only hand they felt like they had. 
And Mm. that just may have been the way they had to go. Listen, it took off. It worked. Yeah. I I keep thinking about the parallels between like this case and the SEALs and police misconduct. I think about the Chauvin trial, because in both cases, we give authority and training to people to do dangerous work. We also give them the ability to use deadly force in certain cases. Now, I mean, the difference is that police are supposed to be peacemakers and SEALs are supposed to be war makers. But in any event, we do put some parameters around it. And then when we hear of someone who abuses that charge and purposely uses deadly force on a non-threatening subject, we all know that that's wrong. But there is, in both cases, this wall of silence about the misconduct and nobody wants to point. And in this case, we do have some SEALs who come forward and speak up and remember their oath. And then we have others that won't. And then lastly, you've got a jury that ends up being sympathetic to the defendant because regardless of the law, they've been through the same thing or they see there's simpatico with them regardless of what the law is. And and that makes it disheartening. Hmm. I just kept thinking, and uh, Toby, I saw you made a note about this, about how some people in the podcast refer to Iraqis and the people involved in this story as as old men, as children, as people. And then the people who are sort of on the uh, PR, Andrea Gallagher side of it, it's just like terrorist, 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 right? I just, the use of language is so specific, which I just have a question about one character who's just not doing that, but is also on Gallagher's side, which is his brother. I found him so fascinating because he's this this incredibly empathetic human guy who doesn't seem to buy any of Gallagher's wife's PR, but also is like, I don't want my brother to go to prison for the rest of his life. And he's willing to go on this crazy like motorcycle podcast. It's like to defend his brother. <laughs> funny. When did you go on Insane Throttle Biker News? <laughs> oh, my God. Dude, I'm so pumped you know about that. Pumped. I listened to the whole thing. You listened to the whole thing? No, not really. I spot listened okay. to it. I listened to a bunch of it. Laura, what did you think of him? I mean, I found him to be very complicated, but also one of the things that made the story the most human. I found him to actually be the most human character in this so far. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think, you know, when I think of like military families, I guess I kind of think I'm lumping everybody in that same like rah-rah, like pro-military sort of bucket. And then we have this brother who's like living in D.C., I think he's like a scientist. The um, climate advocate scientist yeah. working in Congress, <laughs> yeah. Um, totally different. But at the same time, when I heard the scene that you were talking about where he goes on this like crazy podcast and he doesn't even really know what he's getting into when he's getting to like – and they're all like – and then he comes in and he's like, yeah, hi. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> um <laughs> But he did really humanize the story because he was a very genuine character. He was very personable, but sincere and not in line with a lot of the other characters that we were hearing from who were all sort of from the SEAL Group 6, SEAL Group 5, SEAL Group whatever. I mean, this was somebody that was from an out, a different perspective that still was invested in the outcome of what's going on with Eddie Gallagher. Hmm. 
Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out The Line? It is the first, like, big blockbuster podcast from Apple, who's now gotten into the podcast game themselves instead of just being a platform for other shows. Dan Taberski is the host of The Line. It's making a big splash both on the app and in the media. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Line? This is a big thumbs up. Obviously, it's difficult subject matter, but I think, honestly, I talk to people about podcasts that we listen to and that we recommend. I'm like, there's certain people that if they make a podcast, you're going to listen to. And Dan Taberski is one of those people. It's like Dan Taberski, Connie Walker. There's certain people. And he just has such a great way of telling a story. And like some of his expressions, I'm like, I would love to steal them because they're so creative and interesting. But he's also telling a really huge story, and he's got all the right people involved. Everybody that you want to hear from is included in this podcast, but he's telling it in the Dan Taberski way so that it is engaging and interesting, and every once in a while, there's kind of like a funny moment, even though it's pretty heavy material. So I would say big thumbs up. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the line? Yeah, I'm a big thumbs up. Um, sort of echoing what, what Laura said. I mean, I think there's there's like a certain a small group of of podcasters who you just look forward to whatever they're going to put out. Maybe they could be like the one name podcasters, uh, like the prince in sports. of podcasting. It's like, it's like <laughs> when you talk about Michael in basketball, everybody knows you're talking about Jordan or whatever. So mm. you know, I feel like we talk about Connie and Madeline and Amber, and maybe we can talk about Dan now. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's it's good. Like it's 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 very tough. It's complicated. Um, in some ways, it's complicated. In some ways, it's not fucking complicated at all. But I think it's complicated because of the country we live in right right now, and it's just well done. And I think part of it, you guys were talking about how how good the writing was, uh, which which I agree with. But sometimes I I think part of the thing is he just lets people talk, hmm. and you just get so much from that and the way they've kind of sequenced different conversations and stuff. So, uh, I, you know, it's it's really good. Uh, I think it's going to be one of those ones that kind of gets put up on the, the best of the last, you know, five-year lists or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine why you wouldn't listen to this if you listen to our podcast. Uh, like, this is the kind of stuff that you should listen to. Kevin Flynn. Well... But of course, I'm going <laughs> to. I'm a big thumbs up on this. Obviously, it's a master class in both how to interview and how to write. And I wish that I had thought about everything I wanted to say about the way he uses the courtroom tape, the mm. way he uses it the right this way. This is a good time to say that. Go and, ahead, say okay, it. uncover dead wrong where it was just big lumps of audio tape from a trial, and it got, and then the narrator would come on and just sort of tell you what the next thing is going to be. During all the trial stuff, Dan is telling you what's going on, but he's using the tape to enhance what he is saying instead of just putting some audio wallpaper. It's so smart. It's the way it should be done. Look, he's been a darling since Missing Richard Simmons. His voice is unique. He is funny in the right places. He is infinitely conversational. He is thoughtful to both sides without doing the whataboutisms. And he even breaks some news in this. So Alex Gibney is doing the Apple TV Plus documentary component. And I'm sorry, Alex, but Taberski just said a fucking high bar. In yeah. fact, go go send Alex Gibney an edible arrangement. And the message should be, Taberski fucking ate your lunch. And you can put that on the poster. Kevin Flynn says, Taberski ate your fucking lunch. Okay. And anyway... 
Uh, it's a thumbs up. Yeah. Um, so on paper, I'll tell you personally, I should hate everything about this podcast. We should read about it on paper. The story about a uh, a murder accusation of a person of color in a part of the world that we should not be in where we are committing war crimes. It's a podcast that centers the white perpetrator of that potential crime told by a white person and sort of through the very American perspective. I should hate everything about this podcast. I love everything about this podcast because it does everything I want it to do while also doing this impossibly gymnastic combination of light and dark. Dan uh, and his writing does not shy away from the horrors and the crimes and the what actually happened here and how cold and wrong so much of it is. And yet he still manages to include the alleged perpetrator and all these other people that you just want to hate without humanizing them in a way that makes you like them, but humanizing them in a way that reminds you that they are people. doesn't engender sympathy or empathy, but it grounds you in the story in a way that it's very easy to stand away from and be like, that thing, that thing. No, it's like that person. That person can be evil. He can be whatever you think. But I don't know. It's just it's, it's a gymnastic feat. And I just can't say enough about this podcast, The Line. I think it's fantastic. Uh, huge, huge thumbs up for me. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus Trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. So, Kevin, here we are in the business section. Business section. Ba-da, 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 ba-da. Ba-da. Kevin, what do we got going on our Patreon today? Uh, well, we have the new Crime Writers on After Show. It's in your feeds right now. What are we talking about? My midlife crisis. You straight up are having a midlife crisis, Kevin. Uh, and it's I'll not just, a car. It's something worse. It's something, well, it's <laughs> worse. <laughs> Look at that haircut. It's worse. She's 25. She's... <laughs> 36, 24, 36. You wish. Yeah, I wish. Uh, <laughs> we have a new Leave It to Bricker out, and it's the shots heard around the world. Laura last time talked with uh, Ken, Fireman Ken, about their local COVID vaccination clinic. And Laura, you ended up hearing from a bunch of our listeners from around the country and around the world about the things that they're doing on the front lines. Yeah, I thought it was so awesome. So you guys know I've become like this like vaccine evangelist. I'm at the clinic every weekend registering people. I love giving out the stickers. And it turned out so many of our amazing listeners are doing similar things at local clinics in their area. So we hear from all of them. And we also hear from two in the UK 
it was it was just great to hear what is happening kind of to get us out of this stage of pandemic life and that it's our amazing listeners who are helping us and helping their fellow humans. Um, I, I loved it. It made me so happy to hear from people. And people still have a little time to finish up the latest book that's going to be featured on the Deep Dive Book Club. The book is Hidden Valley Road by Bob Kolker. And Toby, tell us a, a little bit about who is going to be on that panel. That supersized panel that you Supersized. Booked. Yes. It's like Canadian McDonald's, your panel. <laughs> My panel is nothing like Canadian McDonald's. Um, so Not that much uh, mayonnaise. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so no particular order. We have uh, uh, Nadina Cranford. Yay. A uh, longtime friend of the podcast. We have Keith Sharon, who is a journalist uh, who you may know from the Crime Beat podcast but uh, is now with the Nashville Tennessean, hmm. south of the Mason-Dixon line. Uh, we have Rabia Chaudhry. Who's that? Uh, who's Rabia Chaudhry? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Rebecca, I'm surprised. I thought you were good friends with her. I and, am. And uh, last but not least, we have Dr. Scott from LA Not So Confidential. He is a forensic psychologist, so he will know what he's talking about, which nice. is always nice to have somebody like that on the panel. And uh, yeah, it should be really good. I don't know how it's going to go with five people, but it's five super interesting people who I think are going to have interesting things to say. And uh, and then and me. Just um, make it long. Kevin's editing it. Make it as long as you want. Super. It's going to be just absolutely. It's going to be hours. <laughs> Epic. Um, Kevin, can you, before we do the other thing we do, can you just tell people why they should subscribe to the Crime Writers on newsletter at crimewriterson.com? Can you just tell them? Because it's so freaking great. Yeah, every Monday you're going to get a uh, newsletter that has everything from photos of our cat of the week to information about what we're going to be doing in the upcoming week, behind the scenes stuff, a little summary of our review, tweet of the week. It's just packed with a lot of great information. And it costs absolutely nothing. It's free. It's free. So go to justcrimewriterson.com, and you'll see right at the top of the page, little things, put your email address, and that's all we need from you. Sometimes there are cheeky photos of the panel and the newsletter. It's, it's great. You just never know. All right, Kevin. Do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Joanne True and Kim Brooks. Bless you. And before we end the business section, Kevin, if people want to support the show on Patreon and get all four podcasts that we make for Behind the Firewall, The Book Club, Laura's Podcast, The Crime Writers on After Show, and of course our advice show, Mary with Podcast, how do they do that, Kevin? All they got to do is go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. And thus ends the business, the business section. Moving on. Down in Bladen County where the congressional scandal took place. There are many people who believe the journalists, the authorities, all of us. We got this whole story wrong. They say the real election cheaters are still at work in the county. Bullying, tampering, stealing votes. In 2018, when North Carolina elections officials investigated a confirmed case of illegal ballot harvesting by a congressional candidate, they also entertained insinuations without any evidence that a local political action committee for black residents also conducts voter fraud. Jane thinks the PAC, what they're really doing, their presence at the polls, it isn't helping or supporting black voters. It's harassing them, pressuring them into voting a certain way. 
Over the past decade, as the Bladen County Improvement Association had more success at the ballot box, an increasing cycle of suspicion grew between conservative white and progressive black voters, believing each was disenfranchising the other. So I'm like, what? Show me something. I want to see it. You know? Mm-hmm. Time to Yep. Time to The Improvement Association, a new podcast from Serial Productions and The New York Times, looks into the effects of voter fraud allegations on a small community. Host Zoe Chase shows it doesn't take lies about sweeping nationwide ballot stuffing to destabilize the institution, that the simple mistrust of a neighbor can do the same thing. Now, we are going to be talking about plot points for the Improvement Association, so to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. Now, Laura, um, you have done a lot of reporting, like Zoe Chase is doing in this podcast, standing around outside polls, <laughs> going to really boring local community meetings. What do you hear when you hear a podcast like this, a big national podcast made by Serial, that is basically a lot of local shoe leather? All news is local. Um, I mean, how many times have you guys heard that in the newsroom? And, uh, you know, as I was listening to this, I could just relate to it so much because it was like, we're going inside like county politics and you've got all these different personalities. You've got the guy who's like holding court in the back of the furniture store. And that's like where you have to go if you want to know what's going on. You know, it reminds me, like, I remember, you know, I had a guy, I used to have to go in, like, the back of the convenience store, in, like, the stocking area to get the news after the state police came in there. So it just, it reminded me so much of, I mean, I'm sure there's so many small towns and small communities around the country that have such a similar dynamic. But the other thing that I heard here a lot of, and it was, it's it's something that I've noticed on a local level, and I'm hearing it here. This rise in partisan politics in local races. So like when I first started covering any kind of local board elections or local races, I never heard who was a Democrat and who was a Republican. It was supposed to be all nonpartisan. And that's totally gone out the window now. And you get an uh, email from whatever you know party you're in, oh, vote for this person, vote for that person. So I think that it's just a great window into what's happening all around the world. But it's something that I think a lot of people can relate to if they live in a small community. Now, Kevin, Zoe Chase is a very singular reporter. We have mm-hmm. heard her on public radio. We've heard her on This American Life. We've heard her in like like numerous storytelling situations. What do you think of her as our advocate for the listener in this story, our guide, so to speak? Well, I like her here more than I have in, in other things. You know, she kind of uh, tries to kind of be cute sometimes. And like that doesn't work so well on a story about the stock market. So she's really cut out for this kind of first person narrative journalism. She's she's perfectly suited for this kind of a podcast. Yeah. Now, uh, Toby, this podcast is about white supremacy, right? Yes. So just talk a little bit about the white people we hear in this podcast and the things you hear them saying. Where do you start? So I, you know, I think this is kind of, you know, it's another aspect of the stuff that say we looked at it in the dark season two, which is like, how do you, how do you maintain a a white control society in a way that goes back a couple hundred years or more? So in, in the new battleground or a battleground that continues, but it's getting more um, 
press recently, uh, I think because it's been kind of amped up a little bit, is, is voting. And it's a combination of things. It, it, and one of them is, I think, fear. It seems to me pretty clear that one of the concerns they have, and they talk about this with the sheriff, is like the sheriff isn't just like the person who decides who gets charged with what or who gets arrested or, or whatever. But they also just like know what's going on, right? They know they know people's secrets and stuff. And that's really the fear with having a black sheriff is that you'll have this black person who knows all these white people's secrets, right? Have to come by you. So at that point in time, he no more secrets. So what's that have to do with Prentice running for sheriff? Everything he had, they didn't want him knowing everything that came through that system. The sheriff knows people's business in the county, the human part, the embarrassing or the tragic, as well as the criminal or the unethical. Again, it's sort of upsetting, you know, the way society has been there. And I think that's sort of coupled with this idea that if black people get power, they're going to treat the white people the way the white people have been treating the black people for, you know, however long. And that's scary, too. So it just seems like there's a lot of fear I guess is what it comes down to. The fear drives, like, how do we maintain power in situations where it's becoming less and less tenable, I guess. Yeah. I'll just say I found parts of this podcast very troubling in the way that some of that was handled. I have a lot of concerns about, in 2021, reporting that gives people who are very clearly racist and motivated by racist beliefs and who lie on behalf of their racist beliefs, giving them the same amount of airtime and oxygen as you give the people who've been oppressed by these people. The one thing that I will say, and, you know, I am listening to this a very open mind. I think it's a very well-reported story, and, and it's, for the most part, a very, very good podcast But when Zoe said in the episode, the most recent episode, that the guy Ray, Britt, who's sort of like the king of the, you know, the conspiracy theories in this community in the back of the furniture store, when she tried to prove his shitty, completely fake assertion about this nursing home story and it being cheating with getting these, quote, infirm and doddering old people to vote the way that the Black Caucus wanted them to vote— she said in the podcast she she wanted to make Ray believe like I, I I'm looking for facts that would make it change his mind. But some of us know. But why won't you tell? I guess is my question. Why won't you just explain it to me so that I don't know just so I can see the full picture because I still feel like I'm squinting a little bit. Keep squinting. Sometimes you squint, you can focus a little better. That's not what we need right now for me. It's like the the thing that Dan Taberski does in his podcast is he tells you who people are. This person's terrifying. This person, this. Zoe gives racists, uh, including Ray Britt, including Jane Pate, who may be one of the most horrifying characters I've ever met in a podcast. She treats them with the same, not dignity like in person, of course, with everybody, but with the same narrative touch that she treats people who have been disenfranchised. And I understand what she's doing. It's like, let them say it, let them hang themselves, let them show the listener who they are. We already know who they are. I feel like we could have gotten a little stronger and she could have just said at the outset, this is based on white supremacy, this is racist, now let's listen to what that sounds like. Kevin, what do you think? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I agree with with some of that. I, I mean, I think what is important, though, to give them the time, because I think the point is to show that I've proven that this is not right. I'm showing you this is not right. And we all assume if she can do that, then they'll say, oh, you're right. We were incorrect. But no, even, we don't assume that. Well, she is demonstrating for us that, look, the facts do not matter because they just want to believe what they want to believe. And that's what she's accomplished. Hmm. Look, the thing that I'm doing now, my my midlife crisis is that I'm learning how to become a baseball umpire. Yeah. And one spoiler of the th- alert. <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> one of the things they teach us is to not over officiate. So if somebody swings at a, at a pitch, you don't also have to yell strike because everybody already knows it's a strike. There's no need to come out and be full-throated pointing out racist. And that's what I'm saying. Because. Not what I'm saying. Okay. Because the audience is sophisticated enough to see it. And so to just put it out there and you're right, let them hang themselves. That's fine. We know. We know why the white conservative part of that community is suspicious of the black political action community that has success in getting their candidates elected. There's one more episode of the podcast left. If they don't ever, with a giant magic marker, circle, you know, uh, this is rooted in the Klan or, or, or something like that, it is still an interesting story. I don't feel like you need to do more than that and over-officiate it it's very clear what's going on. Yeah, I'm not just to be clear, and this is I don't want to argue with you, babe, because you're no. not wrong. But to be clear, for me, it's not that it's they're doing it the wrong way. It's that they're doing it in a very like 2014 way. Yeah, okay. Like I feel like we don't need to start at the beginning with a story like this anymore. Yeah. And this story started at the beginning as if we've never heard of any of these issues, and we don't know why they exist. Right. Like the audience, and I'm not saying that that race is not intrinsically tied with with voter suppression and, and right. right. But the focus, she's good about staying on the focus about yes. voter fraud. And look, it's bullshit. Don't you believe it's bullshit? You don't. Okay. I'm just saying it sounds very 2014. Okay. You know yeah. what it sounds like? Do you remember when in Serial, when Sarah Koenig, when she was talking to Deirdre Enright from the Innocence Project and Deirdre Enright was like, oh, if you read this indictment and all these things, they're super like racially tinged talking about like the dangerous Muslim. Mm-hmm. And and Sarah Koenig was like, well, I don't know. Like this, like this has some of that. What do you think? Well, Laura? you know what it is. I think it for me. I think it's that Zoe is so earnest in the way that she reports that I think for me, when I'm listening, that sort of personality comes across in that same way that you were just talking about. So when you hear her talking, like trying to convince Ray, do you feel like like it's worth trying to convince Ray, or is it just worth trying to get Ray to like give her what she needs to report? Yeah. No, I mean, I don't know. At some point, <laughs> convincing Ray. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just, I, it was a little too earnest for me. But that was just, that was just me. Laura, squint harder. <laughs> I think you need to squint harder because I know things. I'm not going to say, no, but I know things. Time will tell. Time will tell. <laughs> mm. I don't, I don't think. I don't. Say. Well, I just don't. I don't think evidence matters to Ray. No, no, no. Or Jane. I, I mean, that's he's got he's got a worldview, and that's that's more important than you know. Facts, right. I think. Do you think Marshall Tudor, Toby, the elections investigator, who actually went to the nursing home and actually did all these things, do you think he's like a super liberal, like hippie, <laughs> that guy who who was just like, no, I just didn't find anything. <laughs> like, I mean, that's that's what is to me is like so stunning is that you know if you have a spectrum of reason, 
among the people in this podcast, right? And you're putting, uh, you know, Ray at the far end of that spectrum of reason. Like, probably in the real world, you would put the elections investigator, like, you know, somewhere in the middle, maybe toward, you know, whatever. But, like, certainly not. He's certainly not, like... A conspiracy hippie who's just trying to like undermine elections in in this state, right? Don't right. be so sure, Rebecca. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that sounds like some member of the liberal media for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I you know, there's a lot to say about a lot of this stuff, but yeah. I I I think there's an ideology there that that's being protected, and I don't think if he even believes this nursing home stuff, like, I don't know that to me, it kind of seemed like a talking point. Yeah. It's like something like, Oh yeah. But what about this? Like, yeah, that seems like to be a big thing. What about ism? Oh, they're yep. doing it much worse than we are. Right. Well, he's also has a horse in the race, as they say, or a dog in the fight because he was a booster of McRae Dowless yep. who actually did illegally ballot harvest and, you know, was convicted of it. So, so of course, he's going to go, well, nothing about that, but how about these guys over here? Do you know what I've come to realize is like a signpost of what an evil or just bad person is actually doing? They accuse you of doing the thing they're actually 100%. doing? A hundred percent. If you want to know what shit someone is doing, listen to what they accuse somebody else of doing. That's always the way, right? And I, I just kept thinking, Kevin... You like know, when Toby's stealing cable TV? Yeah, a hundred percent. Do you remember um, the very... Like, you guys know you're all journalists, but I remember, Kevin, when I first started writing with you mm. and I hadn't had a lot of journalism experience, we were talking about, like... Uh, libel and slander and you were saying that there are some things you can never say about people because unless you have like photos it's there in the mob there's some things that are yeah or on their face libel or their yeah. child molester yeah like there are certain things if you think about like everything that's happened with this with QAnon, with everything they just go straight for it they're yeah. just like they're just like all the things let's put them all together it's a it's a cabal of voter lies it's like no it's not you literally are doing the thing that you're saying people did i don't know laura what did you think of jane pate i found her to be um a super interesting character did you want to bless her heart as much as i did Oh, absolutely. (laughs) They can see everything you're doing. They can hear every word that's said. And somebody comes from your community around there and says, "This this is what we want you to do. And they stand right there while you do it. Or they stick their arm inside the car and help you do it. Where's your choice? Because, again, I can relate. Anytime I hear, so there's people like this everywhere. And my approach is always to be like, smile and nod. And, uh, like, this year we had, like, um, there was uh, two different factions in our local school race this year. And, um, you know, it was pretty obvious which side I was on. And and as I was walking into the polls this year, I got heckled by a similar lady. And she was like, don't you want – your child to be back in school. Okay, now she didn't have a southern accent, but I'm channeling this podcast. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and I was you're, like, "You're painting her right now." And I was like, "Actually, my kid is in school. He's right out on that ball field behind you, right there." And she's like, "Oh!" So I've dealt with these people. So when I hear her, I'm just like, "Ah." These people. I don't know. I don't think he actually is in school. <laughs> I've might, heard things. It might Listen, be a body double. 
one of my favorite lines, and listen, I don't know if this is true or not, I just have assumptions, is when Jane talks about all her black and Latino friends coming to vote in the same thing, and I'm like, I don't think you have a lot of black friends, Jane Bate. No. And if you do... You know a lot of black people. I don't You don't have a lot of black friends. I don't think they're going to be your friend after listening to this fucking podcast. Yeah. All right, so let, let's just talk about like the second chapter of this briefly before we do our review, which is uh, my favorite character in the podcast, Minnie. who kind of points out uh, some of the rot that she sees happening in this pack, the Improvement Association, which is that, you know, the the men who sort of took the lead on it and were putting the voting block together, which they make a very good case for why a voting block is important, because it is, and it's also just politics, as Zoe points out, uh, how they have come to view power, their power, superseding the election of their party's candidates. I thought that was a very interesting turn in the story. Toby, what did you think of that sort of look inside the organization, especially as we hear Horace and so forth, basically wanting to tank the Democratic candidate because, you know, he wasn't comfortable aligning himself with their quote unquote damaged pack? Yeah, you know, it's another sort of complicated thing, right? It's that you can kind of see like the sort of the idealistic aspect of it, which is, if we don't have power as a pack, there's really nothing to keep white representatives of us kind of representing our interests unless mm-hmm. they count on us to deliver votes. Like that's that's our leverage. On the other hand, you know, what's more important, maintaining the importance of your organization or electing somebody who aligns with your beliefs? And, you know, if you're choosing your organization like, I feel like you have to have a hell of a lot of confidence that what your organization is doing is right all the time and that it's representative of, like, the vast majority of the people who you say you're representing. So, you know, it's a tough one. I mean, I think it's it's one of those things where you can have idealism on, on each side of that issue and you can have practicality on each side of that issue. And especially in a situation like that where the numbers aren't on your side, so you have to find leverage where you can – and really, that is by voting as a block. Like, is is there going to be an alternative way to deliver that block of votes if the association uh, suddenly doesn't have the same power? So I thought I thought that was interesting. It's kind of a conundrum. Like, I kind of know where I come down, but I realize that it's it's a it's a tough one. Like, there's no there's no absolute right or wrong in the in the conversation. And the intent of its opponents in accusing the Improvement Association of, you know, misdeeds is A, to give sort of, oh, what about them and and deflect the attention, but also B, to weaken its influence. To break up the block. To break up to break up the block and, and make it a less influential political organization. And that is exactly what happened where uh, in that race, uh, Harris's opponent, was it McCready? Mm-hmm. Uh, backed off from them and then now there's all this internal conflict and they're not going to be able to, it seems, have the same kind of punch as they did before because as as Miss Minnie points out, they're damaged goods. Yeah. There's a political logic to that and in a political science sense, it's very simple. It's you know very obvious that that's kind of what was going to happen yeah. once they got uh, – tarred with that brush. Right. I mean, there is a a real parallel here that you can draw in like national politics with. um, And this is not this is not me making a judgment. This is just me saying what happened. Like hardcore Bernie Sanders supporters who didn't turn out in 2016 because they were just pissed 
you know, because they mm-hmm. felt be wronged by the Democratic Party. And it's a very good case. You can make that they were wrong by the Democratic Party, but ultimately they just didn't come out. And then they got something that was very different than anything close to palatable for them. You know, for them, that's kind of the case that uh, Minnie is making, very pragmatic case. But aside from the political pragmatism, Lara, how much do you love a woman, a 73-year-old woman at a meeting, being told how the budget of the organization works? And she's like... I'm the fucking treasurer of this organization. <laughs> what did you think of her just as like a character in the story, Laura? That's awesome. Because again, you hear local voices and you hear local personalities. And I think when you're listening to county meetings or local meetings or even certain state meetings, I think you're hearing people that are a lot more candid than you might hear in like the Senate or, you know, something like that. So, Yeah. Don't don't mess with the 73-year-old lady. Sorry. We you know, it's it's uh I I loved all these local voices like hers. Yeah, me too. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out the Improvement Association? It's the latest podcast from our friends at Serial. I say our friends like like if I say it, it's true. From <laughs> our friends at Serial Productions. Like you hear Sarah, my friend Sarah's voice at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, one name's it's pretty great. Dan and Connie and Sarah. <laughs> thumbs up or thumbs down for the Improvement Association. Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Um, I'm going to go with thumbs up. Um This is something that when I first started listening to it, I cringed a little bit when I heard it was about voter fraud because I was like, oh, God, because (laughs) I felt like I don't want to add fuel to the fire of this drumbeat that's going on around the country. But it's a really interesting story. And there's it's it's something that I think people all over the place can relate to if they've ever voted in their local election. I, you know, I know in my local elections, um, half the time people don't even know what they're voting on. And when I heard this podcast, I was like, yeah, it's apparently like that in a lot of places. Um, <laughs> they have to kind of get a little bit of a cheat sheet. But I think, um, you know, it, it's definitely very timely. It's told in that sort of very This American Life storytelling style. And it wasn't like my favorite podcast, but I think that it's definitely something that uh, given this point that we are at in time is worth listening to. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the Improvement Association? Uh, I like this this podcast quite a bit. Um, one thing that's a little bit frustrating, and maybe like if in my perfect world, there'd be like a companion podcast that would probably have like Marsha Chatlin just sort of putting a lot of this stuff into context because I think, you know, there is like, like this whole thing where, where people are suspicious because the black voters are like sort of surreptitiously handing things back and forth between each other. And th- there's like a whole history of suspicion about black people, like secretly plotting, you know, I mean, it, it just, it goes, it goes way back. And Wait, so who- Toby, I'm hearing that you want that in a companion podcast and not actually in this podcast that's about that? Well, you know, I don't know. I, I It's like I, I hate to be constantly like, I would love it if they had a little more context. And like then every podcast becomes like the podcast plus Toby's context that he wants thrown in. <laughs> uh, and I think there's a, there's a hell of a lot of context to be had. And, I you know, I could see using this in a class and then having somebody be like, okay, like this is where this, all this stuff comes from. You know, this all goes back a long ways and it's, and it's, you know, it surfaces here in this particular way. So anyway, uh, with that sort of 
caveat or or sort of wish that it existed. Um, I thought it was interesting. I thought they talked to a lot of interesting people. I I sort of shared some of your issues about you know just making a little bit clearer, like who's who's being honest about things and who's not being honest about things. And she does, you know, it is kind of interesting that she does kind of call out you know, the guys who are the head of the association, when they make mistakes or they suddenly turn conspiratorial when they lose an election and she kind of calls them out for it. But then these white guys, she's she's not quite as calling out. You're just supposed to kind of take it within the context that that's the case, is that they're full of it. So this is, there's a few little things like that. But uh, for the most part, I thought it was good. I, I enjoyed it all this in the last one. So that's a thumbs up. Kevin Flynn? Yeah, I'm a thumbs up. Um, the Improvement Association has sort of, you know, the sound of a – the feel of sort of a long This American Life piece, but it shares more of a sensibility with nice white parents from serial productions, you know, more of that than less S-Town serial and all – basically the theme that runs through serial and S-Town and all of these things is that um, they they have high production value, but they deal with falsehoods and an underdog figure. And, um, you know, if Serial was this team's version of a crime investigation, the Improvement Association is their version of a political expose. The important truth that was revealed to me in listening to this is that I, like many other people, believe if you can just prove that this was false and have people come out and say, no, that didn't happen, and that you wait enough time People will forget and they won't believe these lies anymore. And in this microcosm here, that does not happen. And that is not a good sign for our country right now because I feel like this is incredibly destabilizing to our nation and to all of our institutions. And so to think, yeah, well, long term, this is all going to work out. I don't know. Somebody in this podcast is ringing a bell and – I don't know how we answer the call, but I'm a thumbs up. So this is a very, very hard one for me because in terms of production, reporting, storytelling, all the stuff I would normally measure something by, you can't not give this a thumbs up just for the the scope, the ex- execution and so forth. I have to go thumb sideways on this. And this is grading on a hard curve. I'm Why? Gonna be, because it's for what Toby said. Actually, I was going to be more thumbs up until Toby gave his review. And he actually pointed out to me the thing that was extremely troubling to me about this. This thing didn't need to be what it was and then add a bunch of context. This thing started with a blank slate, a clean canvas, a fair game. Like, like we're going to go in this as if it's a fair game. Where then we're going to show you this X, Y, and Z, and then you can decide for yourself whether the game is fair or unfair. To me, it's not something we need to report We know it's not a blank canvas. We know it's not a fair game. I would have strongly preferred, because this team is so good at what they do, for the table to be set. This game is not fair. This this game is rigged. This this canvas has already been tarnished with like weird smudges and black paint and it's a racist landscape and here's how it looks. Here's how it plays out. Let's take you through the play and show you what that looks like in real life. Um that's a big flaw for me. It's a big flaw. And yeah, I I mean What if I, they do that in the final episode that comes out tomorrow? 
I guess I would be a thumbs up. So I guess I'm a thumbs diagonally sideways up. I'm sorry. I can't just be, I can't love it. I can't. And this is. It reminds yes. me in baseball when you hit, there's an infield fly, you say, infield fly, Listen, if it's fair. You know what? It's like great. It, I know we talk about this a lot. It's like a little bit of a grading on a curve thing, right? This thing on paper is a layup for me to love it. And they just just approach it with too much both sidesness in a way that I in 2021 cannot take. I'm sorry, I just can't. So, yeah, I can't do a fully full hearty thumbs up. So I'm a tepid thumbs sideways ish on this podcast, the Improvement Association. It's great work though, well reported, beautifully produced. I mean, I can't complain about any of the the surface stuff. So our statistician is going to love quantifying I know. a tepid thumb sideways. It's, it's really tough. Sorry, statistician, and I'm I'm sorry for you, Kevin, who probably already made a graphic of me saying thumbs up before Toby did his review. Yeah, so thumb sideways for me on the Improvement Association. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the week. The week. A man in Taiwan was thrilled to tie the knot and then untie the knot, and then tie the knot again. The English-language news site Today reports the man got married last April and was able to take the eight days of his legally entitled to paid marriage leave. When his honeymoon was over, the groom divorced his bride and then remarried her, entitling himself to another eight days of paid leave. The unidentified man then divorced and remarried a third and fourth time, earning a total of 32 days of paid time off. Nice. The bank he works at was not amused. When they only paid for his first leave, he filed a complaint with the government. The Taipei Labor Bureau sided with the worker, making the bank pay a $900 fine and give the groom the rest of his money. The bureau agreed the man's actions were unethical, but the law is the law. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> Panel, the love-struck banker is good at working the system. What other loophole is he taking advantage of? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Um, well, if it was me, he'd be using uh, his wife's email address to get the extra promo code on the shoes that he wants two <laughs> pairs of. Yes. Um, but I have to say, I worked with somebody once who actually faked a wedding to get two weeks off from work. Faked a wedding? Yeah, the fuck. And I tracked oh him God. down and I outed nice. him. Of course you did. <laughs> nice. Oh, <Fake> Jesus. <laughs> nice. 
Toy Ball, what do you think? What other loophole is this guy taking advantage of? Uh, I just assume he's going to be switching carriers constantly for his cell phone. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Kevin? Uh, He may take a penny, but he does not leave a penny. Oh, man, I hate those people. I hate (laughs) them. If you do it every time, that's not okay. By the way, government policy giving you eight days off for your wedding, that's pretty great policy. But 32 is even better. All right. Before we go, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? Oh, we do. So first, I want to send out a little message to Tori Melching, who lost her 18-year-old cat, Rocky, this week. Aww. It was very sad, and I felt so sad for Tori when we saw pictures and heard her story. So, Tori, I hope you're doing better. And I will tell you, in my life, get another cat, maybe two, when the time is right. Maybe three. Or four. I mean, or four, I'm just saying. Um, Laura, if you could have as many cats as you want, how many would that be? I think three right now is pretty All good. But All I might have four. Because that might be better. But anyway. If I didn't have, um, just to be fair to you, if I didn't have a full-time job and a second full-time job, I'd have like six dogs. Yeah. So I totally fucking get it. No, what? I would definitely have some more. Sorry, Kevin. But actually, our actual cat of the week is a sea lion puppy. <gasps> what? Um, and this comes to us from Vicky Rowe in Sydney, Australia. Toby, look at this shit. Oh, yeah. Vicky uh, says, here is a sea lion pup on Kangaroo Island. Uh, Vicky is working as a volunteer for two weeks there on a research project. And the project is working to protect a colony of sea lions, which is in decline from, she says, disease, human impact, and climate change. So I hope this little sea lion survives. And I hope that this project comes up with some ways to make this colony rebound. So thank you, Vicky. I call bullshit. There's, there's not a cat. It's not a lion. It's not a pup. It's probably not even Australian. You have to it's watch like, out. Sea lions can like bite the shit out of you. <laughs> not that one. Look how cute he is. He's beautiful. Did you guys watch Arrested Development? <laughs> no. What happened to Arrested Development, Toby? <laughs> well, it might be a seal, but Buster gets his gets his hand bitten off. (laughs) Spoiler alert for a show that happened like 10 years ago. (laughs) All right, Laura Bricker, folks want to submit to you their uh, sea lions to be cat of the week or any other kind of animal for that matter because we take them all. How can they find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. By the way, the way we get most of them is email, right? CrimeRaidersOn at gmail.com. Not Facebook and Facebook. Yeah, all over, email yeah. is great. CrimeRaidersOn at gmail.com. Tony Ball, folks want to reach out to you and like get a picture of your amazing t shirt. How can they find you on Twitter? Uh, well, you know, what I'd rather have them do is uh, some friends of mine uh, have a podcast, which is actually the first episode is dropping the day after this drops. It's called Camp Hell, and it's about Camp An- Annie Wakey. But just look up Camp Hell because I don't know how to spell it anyway. Uh, but it's the, the people who I work with on Strange Arrivals. It's hosted by Josh Thane, who's a producer on Strange Arrivals. Uh, so check it out. It is true crime. It is about a camp and the shitty stuff that happens there. Uh, so if you listen to it and you like it, uh, you can tweet about it to me at Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to see your deranged new haircut, how can they find you on Twitter? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram to see all my dogs all the time, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join our truly supportive and amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. 
We also have a regular old Facebook page, by the way. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You will get the crime writers on after show married with podcast, Laura Bricker's leave it to Bricker podcast and Toby Ball's deep dive book club podcast and subscribe to our newsletter for God's sakes. It's free at crimewriterson.com. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very handsome Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Oak Loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we are very, very frequently attacked by dogs that look just like loaves of bread. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. I like the stuff that makes you energized. Oh, I do the sleep ones. Oh, uh, yeah. But I, I like the sleepy stuff, too, so I'm going to get two varieties. Oh. I'm very excited. All right, Kevin. Kevin just like, Kevin's same, like, yeah. Kevin's like, can we please read some fucking ads now? And stop <laughs> right. talking about our marijuana edibles. It's legal, by the way, in case this ends up being the outtake. It's all legal. <laughs> it's legal. Okay. In another state. Listen, <laughs> I have insomnia here Not in New Hampshire, state. too, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.